And good morning. Boy, what a great time of worship, wasn't it? So grateful for our worship team, what they bring to us every week, and thinking about them leading. I think it was actually last Sunday uh, when what you just heard Jeff talking about in Bulawayo Baptist, they would have been watching them online uh, last Sunday. When I think about our team leading them, uh, that church knows our, our team, our, our worship arts team has been to, to Bulawayo to, to lead in worship, to do worship conferences. I think they went three times in about 18 to 24 months. And so our whole church has a sweet relationship with, with Bulawayo, but uh, especially our worship arts team. And as they got up to lead in that worship, that, that congregation, which is a congregation of hundreds of people there in Bulawayo, uh, that they would have known them. So it's, it's exciting to think about how they were getting to have that opportunity to lead. We, we love that church and uh, look forward to, as with all of our partnerships that we have around the world, but uh, get back to hopefully Zimbabwe here real soon. Good to see all of y'all. I was, I was gone last week. I, I was on vacation. Nice to have that that week, we were actually gone the week before that, leading up to last Sunday. We took a, a week at the beach. We had everybody with us but, but Randy, so almost the whole, the whole family and had a, a great time and got a lot going on in our family right now. I know probably a lot of you saw on Facebook, my son Colin got engaged uh, this week. So we've got, we've got a wedding now in October with Randy, and it, and it looks like Colin's probably aiming toward next July. But honestly, after marrying off two daughters, boys, man, it's just easy. I just pay for one dinner, and I'm out of here. <laughs> Them girls, the checks never stop. They just, just keep going out the door. So we're, we're sure excited for them. It's been a, been a fun week getting to celebrate all that. We also had a kind of a real meaningful experience Friday morning. I haven't said much about it because the failure rate's real high and the recycling is real high and I don't want to explain what's going on. But Randy has been in, in ranger school now for, for six weeks and uh, went, went to that and we knew we wouldn't be able to talk to him, see him that entire time, but a little bit of a surprise to us, Friday morning at 5.30 a.m., uh, we, we got a call, and it, and it was Randy, and uh, boy, I tell you, and I hope everybody's had this, sometimes the, just how precious the sound of a voice can be and get to hear what's going on. He's through three weeks of Darby, he's through three weeks of Mountain, and now the next three weeks, he'll, he's in Florida, sunny Florida, but not at, not at Disney World. He's in the swamp. And uh, as a matter of fact, I was looking at their schedule today before they start maneuvers. Their first class is dealing with reptiles. I don't even want to go to the class. I don't even want to know about dealing with that. But we're really excited for him and uh, would appreciate your prayers. He can get through 21 more days uh, of this. So anyway, so on, on another note, I'm an Aggie. I know y'all probably weren't very familiar with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I probably just a little bit overused that illustration, uh, overused that truth. I think I've used it even like recently uh, here with First John and, and in this church. I mean, you know that. You wouldn't doubt that. And yet, do you know that somebody, if, if they wanted to, might could make a case, hey, I don't know that you are an Aggie. Or if you are, I don't think you're a very good one. You know, well, what, what kind of evidence or what kind of case would they make for that? Well, 
I don't live in Texas or College Station. Not that that's a requirement, but I'm not there. I, I'm not where a whole lot of Aggies are. And um, let's see, I graduated in 1987, and Karen and I have been back to campus, I, I think maybe five times. I'm not sure if it'd be five times, but not, not much. When you, how long ago 1987 was? We've pretty much lived on the East Coast since then, and so I don't get back there very often. I give, I, I, I give money to A&M. Not very much. And not very often. <laughs> I'm not expecting the letter of what they're going to name after me anytime real soon here. So I'm not there. I don't hardly give anything. Uh, oh, I, I, I can be a little negative every now and then. I, I can kind of get down on my football team. I'm excited this year they'll be winning the national championship. But that's right. Uh, but, but, but normally they give us plenty of opportunity uh, to complain. So you see, if somebody was looking at me and they're, they're listening, they're watching, they could look at all this and say, you know, I don't, I don't know that you're an Aggie. And, and if you are, you're certainly not a, a good one, which I would get a little defensive about, right? So I would come back with the evidence that says I am. I've got gear got the hat. I'm not wearing the hat because I get, not all the hair's the same. I get like real hat head. So a hat's a commitment for me. When I put it on, it stays there till the rest of the day. So we're not going to go with the hat today, but I got, I got the hat. I, I, I got the shirt. I got the ring. And here's a nice little piece right here. I got the diploma right here. I mean, I got all this. So it's not just that I can say, uh-huh, I am an Aggie. Man, I can come back with a lot of evidence. You know what evidence does? Gives confidence, gives security, first of all, to me, and and, and then maybe to you. But here's the interesting thing about evidence, and evidence is important, right? It proves something. But do you know if I take off the hat, if I take off the shirt, if I take off the ring, if I burn the diploma, there's like zero evidence that that ever existed. I'm still an Aggie. The evidence proves something, but none of the evidence actually makes me an Aggie. I'm that without any of this. I went there for four years. I I earned the degree, whether you can see any of this or I show you any of this stuff or not. Now, here's something interesting. Everything I just said about being an Aggie is just as true about being a Christian. Man, evidence is important. And 1 John has been a lot about evidence. And you know, when you can't produce the evidence, you, you, you start to get a little nervous, a little anxious. And, and you know what? Pretty soon it can almost start to feel like, boy, if I'm not doing these things. In other words, it's the evidence that makes me something. No, evidence doesn't make us something. It proves something. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. We'll be there in just three more weeks. We're, we're almost at the end of 1 John. Next week, July 4th, I'm actually doing kind of a special uh, July 4th message 
uh, on being a good American. You want to find out what that's about? We'll see you next, next Sunday. But then after that, two more weeks, only two more messages in 1 John. And, and the last one, we'll get to verse 13, where he says, I've written this. Th- think of what we've heard him now. We've been at this since the, the Sunday after Easter, the, the, every sentence, every idea. And John says, you know, I've written all of this to you who believe on the name of the Son of God. That's what makes somebody a Christian, a believer, saved. They have believed on the name of the Son of God. We could unwrap the word belief a little bit, but that's the condition, that you have believed on the name of the Son of God. Having done that one thing, I've written this to you so that you may know you have eternal life. Well, I tell you what, those words right there, just about as precious as getting to hear my son's voice Friday morning, those are precious words right there. I can know God's love, God loves me. Know God accepts me. I can know that I have eternal life. Now, just the very fact that I can know, you know what that tells me? That clearly this is not based on me. If it was based on me, well, there'd always Maybe, it's, maybe this is just me. I, I think there would always be room for doubt. There would always be a question. Hey, listen, I, I believe a lot of Christian stuff. I do a lot of Christian things. I think I'm pretty good-ish. But I can be inconsistent. And I can have bad days. I'm guessing you can have some bad days. And you know, it doesn't take many bad days before you can start to, golly, Could I have that many bad days and still be a Christian? Could I have had that bad day and still be a Christian? I mean, there just would always be a little bit of a, a, you know, I mean, I'm going to trust God in this. I'm going to believe on God in this. But if there's any part of me, it just seems like there would always be reason to have a little bit of doubt, a little bit of question. And yet what 1 John 5.13 tells us is that God's will for your life, for my life, God's desire for you is that you know. No question, no doubt, no fear. Well, then it's got to be based on something other than me. And of course, the New Testament, 1 John, absolutely teaches that. This is based on the person and the work of Christ. The reason I'm, I'm kind of building up with this is because John talks so much about evidence. I mean, about half these messages, I drive home thinking, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. Because, you know, I haven't done this as if this makes me a Christian. And that's not what John is saying. John is very clear. It's faith in the person and the work of Christ. I'm counting on him. 1 John chapter 2. We learned about the propitiation. That's not a word we use very much. The propitiation of Christ. That word means satisfactory payment. I'm not counting on my satisfactory payment. I'm counting on Jesus' satisfactory payment. Who said it was satisfactory? The judge. The Father. That's what I'm counting. I also learned in 1 John 2 that Jesus is my advocate. I'm not even counting on me to make a good case for me in heaven. Jesus is going to make the good case for me in heaven. 1 John chapter 1, I learned that I can count on God's forgiveness because he is faithful and just. I'm not counting on my faithfulness. I'm counting on Christ's faithfulness. So this is our challenge. This is our opportunity to believe. John is so very clear 
that salvation is based on the person and work of Christ alone. But to encourage that faith, for you and I to have confidence in that faith, to be able to celebrate that faith, he talks a lot about evidence. Evidence. Evidence gives confidence. It's a very simple idea. The more evidence I have, the more confident that I am. How many of us at one or more times in our Christian life has ever had the thought, how do I know? And how do I, I know what I've learned and I want to believe what I've learned, but how, how, do, how do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know God loves me? How do I know God's living in me? Well, that's what John's trying to talk to us about. Hey man, the more evidence you have, the more confidence you have. This does not make me an Aggie. It does prove It does give confidence. Evidence doesn't make me a Christian, but it proves, it demonstrates, it shows. And you know what? The opposite is also true. A lack of evidence is going to mean a lack of confidence. A lack of evidence does not necessarily mean I'm not a Christian, but a lack of evidence, and I think this is what John is trying to teach us as he's called us a liar a couple of times, remember? You, hey, don't lie to yourself. Hey, listen, if there's no evidence, I need to ask myself, why am I calling myself a Christian? Why do I believe God and I have something when there's none of this evidence? So First John's about evidence, and we've learned that. What, what is that evidence? Man, it's walking in the light. It's living in the truth. It's, it's obeying God's commands. It's loving one another. These things, when these things are happening in my life on some kind of regular, consistent basis, that becomes evidence that I have a real, genuine relationship with God. Because if I have a real, genuine relationship with God, this is what's coming out. This this is what's being produced. So today what we're looking at is one of those pieces of evidence again. And the reason I say again is we're looking at love one another. And you remember, I, I, I've already said eight times. This, this book's only five chapters long. It's not a long letter in the New Testament. Only five chapters, and yet eight distinct times he talks about loving one another. We've also learned that one another, who that one another is. One another, not just in John, but in the entire New Testament, loving one another is about loving each other inside the body of Christ. The whole one billion plus believers on the planet, yes. But I'm going to exercise that, work on that most in the local church that I'm a part of. And so loving one another is the body of Christ. This is not about going home and loving your family. Are there verses that talk about that? Of course there are. But that's not what this one's about. This is not talking about being a loving person out there in the world. Are there verses that talk about that? Of course there are. That's not what this is about. When we're thinking through loving one another, we are thinking through our relationships with other believers. Inside the local body of Christ, obviously there's Christians you know outside this church and, and Christians everywhere. But that's what we're thinking on. And boy, when we have that love for one another... And we've got to unwrap what that word love means. But when we have that, boy, we've got some, we've got some pretty 
<laughs> profound evidence there. So let's look at that. First John chapter 4, go to the end of your Bible, Revelation, back up a few pages. First John chapter 4, and I'm reading a lengthy passage today, verse 7 to 21. First John chapter 4, I'm going to begin in verse 7 and go to verse 21. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. Boy, that's kind of in your face. That's John, isn't it? We've gotten used to this since Easter. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Well, how can you say that? Because God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending. I want you to listen when it talks about love, how much action there is with that love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. There's John again making it clear. Eternal life comes from one place. A relationship with God comes from one place, and that's a relationship with Jesus. Verse 10, this is real love. Not that we loved God. Our love for God is not what moved him. Our love for God is not what motivated him. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one's ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. In other words, hey, no one's ever seen God. Yeah, you have. When you see this love for one another, you're seeing God. That's God inside of you doing that. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we've seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. And they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence. What's he talking about here? Evidence. When you see God, you're, you're growing in the perfect love of God. You're growing in how that is expressed. What are you gaining? You're gaining confidence about how do I really know? What's going to happen to me when I stand before God? Hey, you know what's going to happen before, to you when you stand before God? You know God's living in you. How do I know? Because this perfect love is growing in you. So we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. That line is quoted a lot, usually not in any kind of context. What's the fear being cast out? Man, when this love is in me, it's casting out any fear of having to stand before God, any fear of condemnation and judgment. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced, not fully trusted, not fully living his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. (laughs) Hey, have you noticed it's been a while since John called us a liar? 
We, we, we started this the Sunday after Easter. And didn't it feel like all the rest of April and May, John was calling us a liar? I mean, just every single week. And he took a break. And I guess he knows he's rounding the corner on the end, so he's getting one more in. You bunch of liars. Now, remember, what, that's, what he's saying there is, hey, man, th- this is totally set out of love. You and I don't usually call each other a liar out of love. It's out of love he's saying, man, you're lying to yourself. If you think you can look to heaven and tell God that you love him, if you think you and God got something going on, but then you have this hate in here, you are lying to yourself. That is evidence going in a very wrong direction. Now, here again, like we've got to unwrap the word love, we've got to unwrap the word hate. Most of us probably can escape saying, I don't hate anybody. I mean, I look around this room, I don't, I mean, there's nobody here I want to kill. Right? But what is hate? You know, apathy is a form of hate. If I can walk into church and I have no interest in anybody in here, don't want anybody to have any interest in me, don't really want to engage, I just don't need that, I don't care. That's what I'm saying. I I don't care. I don't care about what's going on in your life. And I don't, hey, listen, this is fair. I don't need you to care about what's going on in my life. I'm here for I'm here for me. I'm here for me and what I'm trying to figure out with God and do with God. And it's, it's all this way. I got nothing for you. Folks, that's hate. And so John's saying, hey, if you're coming in here thinking something's great's going to be happening this way, when nothing's happening this way, you are lying to yourself. For if we don't love people, I love the practicality of this. You can't even see God. If we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love one another or love their fellow believers. I guess all this time the Beatles had it right. All you need is love all together now. Yeah, that probably is not going to help you love, I know. And I'm not even sure the Beatles had the right definition of what they were singing about there. Maybe even a wrong definition. You know, that's funny. When, when the Beatles say, all we need is love, are they quoting John? Are they talking about what John is talking about? It's interesting. We can say a word and, and we absolutely all assume we're thinking about the same thing. And yet, that word love really does kind of need to be... Un- is John talking about what the Beatles are singing about? You know, we get in this passage, it was said twice, a very profound three-word statement. God is love. God is love. Okay, so what does that mean, God is? What, what is this love? Well, the, the word used here throughout 1 John 4 is agape, Agape love. I know many of you have heard that that word. There's three kinds of love in three kinds of love in the Greek language. All three are used in the New Testament. And by the way, it's not a like a here's a good love, a better love, and here's the best love. These loves are used of God. These these loves are used of people. They're all positive. They're all good and right. They all have a context. There's a context for different kinds of love. The three words, eros, is where we get our word erotic. That's referring to the romantic, passionate, intoxicating love between a man and a woman. There's phileo. 
probably where most you and I live. That's where most of our love is going to be. When most of us say, we, we just got one word in the English, I, I love you. Most of us are going to be living in the I phileo you. This is a loyal love, a committed love. This is your, your best friends. This is your family. This is the, the people that not only do you do life with, but you enjoy it most of the time. These are the people you enjoy the most. That's, that's the phileo love. And then that third kind, a lot of times referred to as God's love. That's what we call it kind of in the Christian realm. In the Greek language, when they use that word, it wasn't necessarily God's love. But it's agape love. And it's, it is like God's love because you and I rarely go there. We think we do. We rarely do. Two key words for, for agape love sacrificial and unconditional. Sacrificial meaning, agape love is always looking for the need. What's the need in your life and how can I serve that need? How can I help you? And, and the idea of agape is even to the point of sacrifice, even to the point of cost. Because let's be honest, sometimes we see the cost of something, but I don't have that time. I don't have that time. I don't have that energy. I, I can't do that. But, but when I'm showing agape love, hey, whatever it takes, whatever time, whatever energy, I, I'm going to meet that need. And, you know, we do that. Man, our, our kids, our mates, our parents, even certain friends. I mean, there's a lot of us in here. I imagine, man, your friends know they can count. You're the 2 a.m. friend. It doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter what it costs. They can count on you. So I think, I think a lot of times we have the sacrificial part down. It's the second word where we all fall off. Unconditional. Without condition. Without thought of how this comes back to me. Now, I'm not saying we can't love sacrificially for a long time. And that's where we think we're doing agape. But most of us have a stopping point. With the people we love the very most. I, I, I'll, I'll do whatever you need. But at some point we expect something to come back. I, I expect some appreciation. I expect an equivalent love. I'll, I'll give you everything in the world. As long as you give me everything in the world right back. I mean, that's how most of human relationships are lived. It's give and take. You scratch my back. I'll scratch your back. And we go back and forth like this. And I'm not. that's not fake love, that there's a realness to that, but that's not agape. That's not agape. That might be phileo, but it's not agape. And, and we put these conditions. Now, to be clear, that's all John's talking about here. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21, uses the word agape either as a noun or a verb 27 times. If you're not sure, that's a lot. That's a lot of times in the short, I said it's a long passage, but I mean 27 times the word agape is used. So this may not be our go-to love, but are you ready for this, folks? When you enter this gathering, that's where we live. That's where we're being called, is to agape each other, to be constantly looking for where and how I can serve and meet needs and how I can do that with no thought of cost and no thought of what it comes back to me. And when this is what's happening, guess what? That's evidence. 
That's not my love. That's not me doing that. If that's coming out, that's evidence that God is living in me. Now, I really believe that's the point that John's making here. It's not about love. It's about God living in you. To which we're all going to say, how do I know? And John's going to say, here's the evidence. Agape, 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 27 times. So I want to make three statements. Three statements I believe he makes in 1 John chapter 4. And I don't know that I really wrote these right. It's not like here's three different things. It's each statement kind of builds on the other so that you and I understand why this is the evidence that John's proclaiming it to be. So the first thing we need to understand is that God is love. God is love. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? Now, we need to understand, first of all, what that verse, what that statement is not saying. It's not saying that God is loving. Is God loving? Yes, very much. But that's not what that's saying. If we're describing God as loving, then actually what we're doing there is we're saying there's something bigger than God. There's something higher than God. Love. And so there's this definition of love, there's this standard of love, and God rose up and met it. God met the conditions, God met the expectations, God met the definition of love. So we can say God is loving. No, God is love. God is the definition of love. God is the standard of love. You want to know what love feels like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what love does? Look at Jesus. You want to know what love does on a good day or a bad day? Look at Jesus. You want to know what love does when the other person fails? Look at Jesus. You want to know what love does when the other person succeeds? Look at Jesus. Jesus, God, is the definition, the standard of love. Now, this passage is not saying, now, here's my challenge. I've got to love like God in order to be a child of God. No, that's, that's not what it's saying. What it is saying is that if I am a child of God and God is living in me, guess what's coming out? This love. In John's mind, there's not... There's not a status, there's not a possibility of the God that is love living here and it not seeping out, it not spilling, it has to come out. And so if it's not coming out, if I don't find a growing, perfect love for this gathering and for believers, then that's where John's saying you you need to stop and ask yourself, why you perceive that you have faith, why you perceive that God's living in you, because I can tell you when God's living in you, God is love, and this is what's coming out. Now we got to understand, okay, so God is love, but what does that mean? What does that do? You know, a lot of times when you and I talk about love, think about love, express love, we're, we're pretty much talking about feelings. You know, it feels good, and I want you to feel good, and but, but this is Everything we see in 1 John 4 is not about a feeling anywhere. It's about action. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. A lot of us will say, I love my church. I love my church. Are we saying I agape my church? You know, most of the time when we say I love 
my church, we're talking about what it feels like to me, what it means to me. I'm saying, I love the preacher. I love the music. Oh, I love this particular ministry that we have there. Oh, I love my life group class there. We're looking at a piece or several pieces, and we're saying, I love my church, which is a wonderful thing to say, and I hope we can all say it. But do you realize I just defined the exact opposite of agape? My feeling is entirely based on what everything means to me and what everything is doing for me. I'm not trying to say that you or I are doing something wrong. I'm saying that's not agape. Agape isn't about all of the warm fuzzies I feel because of what a place or a people are doing for me. It's about how I am moving into that place and people and serving sacrificially and unconditionally, the need of every person and the need of the whole in any way I can. It's all action. As, as God begins to describe his agape love, what is it? It is God seeing your need and my need, our sin, our lostness, our eternal destiny, our absolute inability to fix it or correct it. And so what does God do? He moves he, moved, he comes to us. He comes to where we are. Did he do this? Because, well, you know what? If I can get this fixed, boy, on the other side of this, they're going to love me. They're going to sing songs, and they're going to clap and raise their hands, and I'm going I'm to feel so loved. It's going to hurt at first, but look at the payment. No. He, his love is not being moved by how we're going to love them back. His love is not being moved by the payback. He died for all people. Do all people love him? No, what moved him was his own love. That's why it keeps saying, this isn't that we loved God, it's that he loved us. Even when we love each other. Do you know why we love each other? Because he loved us. Agape is the moving force here, not, not our goodness. And so he moved into our lives to meet that need. And Many of us sitting in this room watching online, we, we cling to that love, don't we? That's our faith. That's our life, our, our dependence. I, I know God loves me. I know God has forgiven me. I know my eternal home, and I know all that because I cling to the love of Christ. So God is love. God moves in demonstrating and serving that love, and that leads to the third statement. And this one, I'm really not sure I wrote right. I, I don't know how. It's the word must that I'm tripping on, what I'm trying to communicate. This is how we must love each other. In light of the fact that God is love, in light of the fact that that, that love is demonstrated with action, sacrificial, unconditional action, that's how we then must love each other. What, what I believe I'm trying to say there is what John is saying is there's only one response to this love. There's only one way to respond to this love that you and I cling to, this love that you and I are desperately dependent on. There's only one, I mean, hey, how do you love God? How do you respond to this? I mean, that should be a natural question for any of us. And John's saying the, the only way to respond is for the way that you depend on, the way that you enjoy God's love, that you show that for his people. That's what God said. You want to respond to my love? Here's what you do. You love my people. So what, what does it mean to, 
to love God, well, it's, it's, or to, to love the church, to love one another, well, it's a lot more than a feeling, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with a feeling. I hope every believer, because, man, I love my church. I love everything they are and do up there. But that's not what 1 John 4 is about. That's not what agape is about. The way we love, the response to God is very action-oriented, very servant-oriented, very meeting-the-need-of-another-oriented. And when I see this growing in my life for everybody that I can, that's evidence that God's living in me. Do you know where all this begins? Okay, where do I start? You know, the good news is it's pretty simple start. You got to be here. You got to be here. There's, there's no way to relate with somebody. There's no way. How do I know how to meet a need? How do I know how to encourage? How do, hey, I've got to be, I've got to be re- relating with you a lot if somewhere along the way I have to forgive you. <laughs> I mean, doesn't the word forgiveness imply not only that we know each other, but we know each other well enough to get on each other's nerves? That, how much do I need to know? Enough that they can bother you. Just in that, so you got you've got all these commands. We've talked about this lots of times. All these one anothering commands. You know what they are? They're all expressions of what it means to love one another. How do I love one another? By forgiving one another. By encouraging one another. By listening to one another. By helping one another. Every one of those ideas involves that we're here. We're engaged. We know each other. We know each other well enough that I know how to pray for you. I know how to help you, and I know how to be bothered by you. Hey, listen, if you're having fun, praise the Lord, but you're not agaping. <laughs> Agape means it's work. You, you got to be here. You know, the entire, the entire makeup of the American church, from, from a small church to a big church, is that this is, a, this is a group I enter, I get what I need, and I get out. I'm not saying every single one of us is doing that, but that is the American model, the American mentality of church. I, I just, I don't need you for this. I'm in here, I get, I get what I need, and I get out. That may be very American, it's not very Christian. It may be very American, but it's not at all Jesus. What, is, what did the verse say? Man, the more I'm like Jesus, the more evidence I have. Well, what's Jesus like? He wants to engage with every person in here. Now, you know, not all of us are this way. I am this way. You know, I, I mean, I would be one. There would be others that, man, that's just not my personality. I, I know most of the time all y'all ever see me do is talking. I cannot express to you how little need I have to talk. I cannot explain how little need I have to engage. Hey, I love that people are praying for me, but you wouldn't hear me, Randy being raised, boy, I need a whole bunch of people praying for me. You know what I'm going to say? That's not my personality. But we're not talking about Randy's personality. We're talking about God's personality living in me. And how do I know when God's living in me? When we see more of his personality seeping out than my own. And as a matter of fact, if you are a little bit more quiet, a little bit more of an introvert, a little bit more to yourself, we got it really easy. We really know when God's working and active. If I'm talking to somebody, God's in control. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Lord. I thank God for my personality. I can see he's got it. You know what? It's not about our personality. 
Listen, I, I got to love a billion plus Christians on the planet. But God's given us a local church where we're going to exercise this one thing. This love for one another. And you can't do it if there's no interest in anybody. You can't do it if it's hit and miss, if you're even going to be here. You know, this sounds like a, you better go to church. Oh my gosh, if that's all you hear, you've totally missed everything God is trying to say here. This isn't about you better go to church. It's about this is our opportunity to get to know each other, really know each other, so that I can get on your nerves And so that we can share with each other what to pray for. And we can listen to each other and help each other and do all this loving one another. Listen, loving one another is is to be the all-consuming thought of the Christian life. You can't, this is so big and so important, we cannot relegate loving one another to randomness and spontaneity. Which is what we do most of the time. We, we We come to a sermon on love... And we think, oh, I need to do that better. You're right. Oh, I need to do that more. Okay, you know what? Next time I come back, that's the first problem. (laughs) Next time I come back, well, I'm really going to have my eyes open, really going to have my ears open. I'm going to really be looking for a way I can love. And we're almost just counting on random opportunities, spontaneous. Of course, look for random opportunities. Of course, be spontaneous. But this is too big to count on only that. Because the problem is you and I are too busy and too self-centered to see the 1,000 opportunities we had this week to love one another and didn't see a single one of them. No, we need love one another. That's something we need to do on purpose. Not because we bump into it. It needs to be done on purpose. We need to have a love plan. <laughs> Tell somebody at work this week you got a love plan. I bet y'all are not thinking of the same thing. We need to have a plan. In other words, I'm not just going to wait till I bump into some. I'm going to have a plan for how I'm going to love one another. I, I, three things come to mind. I got a specific group of people. Now that that would start with the, the local church that you go to. But even inside that local church, it doesn't have to be big one like this one. Church of 150, you still got to have what's the specific group that I'm starting in. That might be a ministry that you serve in. In our church, is going to be a life group that you serve in. But there's a specific group of people that I am very purposely looking to engage with so I can do all this one anothering. You got a specific group of people. You got a specific way of serving. You know, I'll tell you something, I, I think it would revolutionize the church if, if 1,600 of us were approaching the building this morning saying, God, open my eyes, open my ears to what's going on around me, use me today to meet a need. Man, that is, that is, that is loving one another. But what if I miss it? I guarantee you, folks, God wants us to love one another, not based on what we see and hear. So I've got I've to become formal in how I serve. I've got to choose so that no matter what I see and hear, I serve today. I loved today. That might be teaching children. It might be parking cars. It might be working in worship arts or the media department. It might be greeting. But I'm going to join the whole so that we serve all the individuals and people leave here feeling loved and served, right? I'm a, I'm a part of doing that. And then you got to have a specific day. 
This is a real easy one to remember every day. I mean, can anyone possibly read this passage and think, well, you know what? That's something I need to do a couple times a year. Let me say it again. And I don't, if you've heard me preach any amount of time, you know, I I don't say this about every topic, about every issue. Loving one another is is an all-consuming thought of the Christian life. It's something you're thinking about, praying about, working to do every single day. If you're counting on the fact that God lives in you every single day. It's work. But boy, what sweet confidence, what sweet peace, what sweet security when that evidence is there. You know, as a, uh, as a communicator, uh, speech, speech communication was my major. Big shock there, huh? Uh, as a communicator, um, I know... I have overused the Aggie illustration. I I just, I've overused it. Too many places, too many times. That's not introducing anything. It's not, I've overused. I mean, at some point, the audience very rightly says, you're an Aggie. (laughs) Woohoo! I get it. I'm pretty sure what God's idea is, is that the entire world looks at you and me and says, God lives in you. I get it. You love one another. Sure, you've shown me that more times than I care to see. I can wear you out with agginess. Can we wear the world out with our love for one another? You know, when something's that real and that important, it always comes out. Let's pray. Father, I uh, am so very grateful for this love. A love that did not evaluate what it would be worth to save me. What it would be worth to rescue me. God, I thank you by your own love, you moved To meet my needs. Lord I thank you for the opportunity. That with you now living in me. To express and live the love. That I'm so desperately dependent upon. To express and live the love. That I cling to. God I pray we can learn to thank you. For the body of people called the church. That you've given us. A specific focus, a specific place where I really work at being just like you. And being just like you comes down to three words. Love one another. Lord, I read this passage and honestly, I I, I wonder, is there any church in America that's doing this? Lord, let it begin in me. Lord, let it begin in our church. 
And I pray anyone watching us relate, it would be so abundantly clear who God is and what his love is like. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.